Welcome to an inspirational Sunday message from Found Church. We hope you will be challenged and encouraged while listening to this message. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our church website, foundchurch.co.uk, or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Notes to follow along with to this message. You can find them on the YouVersion Bible app as normal. So when you open up the app, just hit the little button down at the bottom right hand side and it'll come up with a menu and just click on events and you'll see Found Church there and it'll be flashing red to tell you that Found Church is live and remember hit save to keep them for later. If you have a Bible handy, turn with me to John chapter 14. I want to read through from verse 15 through to 24 and it will be on the screen also, but John 14 verses 15 through to 24. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day you will realize that I am in the Father and that you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Amen. I mean, as we continue our series in the upper room with Jesus, the title of my message today is this, the joy and power of friendship with the Holy Spirit. The joy and power of friendship with the Holy Spirit. And if you know me and know my story, you'll know that I got uh, first came to faith attending an Alpha course all those years ago, I think 22 years ago or so, I came to faith at an Alpha course. And if if you've ever been part of an Alpha course, a huge big part of the Alpha course is when they talk about the Holy Spirit. And they talk about baptism in the Holy Spirit and there's multiple opportunities during that course to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was curious, like I wanted to find out more about this Holy Spirit. What did that mean in my life? And I remember at that time going in the church we were in and going and speaking to the, the, the the minister in that church and asking all these questions about the Holy Spirit and he said to me, Stephen, we don't believe in that here. And I was confused because I'm thinking, well, why are you putting this course on which has got a huge big element of the Holy Spirit in it but you're telling me that you don't believe in this stuff. So I was confused but then I just made it my mission because it didn't tie up. See, I was, I was reading the Bible and what I was reading in the Bible wasn't tying up what he was saying from the platform. I hope you do the same with us. That you check what we say and compare it with the Bible and make sure that we, what we're saying is right and challenge us. Yes. Like, so I was getting challenged by what I was reading in Scripture and what I was experiencing in church. So I would challenge and ask questions and they kept telling me, we don't believe in that here. We don't believe in that here. It was almost like we had father, son and the other one. That's what it was like. After all, the words father and son are used every day in our world to describe close intimate relationships with actual people that we know. But the word spirit doesn't immediately suggest a personal being with whom we might enter into a relationship with. 
So let me ask you a question today as we start off this message. How many of you today can honestly say that you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? How many of you today can say that you have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? See, when we share our faith with people, we often hear things like, would you like to have that personal relationship with Jesus? See, that's easy to understand. Because after all, Jesus was a human being. Yes, he was and always will be God, but he is God and human flesh. You could touch him, you could hug him, you could hear and speak to him and look right into his eyes. But the Holy Spirit is, well, a spirit. How do you hug a spirit? You can't see a spirit, you can't eat dinner with a spirit. So how are we supposed to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Perhaps we should ask the question a different way. The question should be, should we expect to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? And before I answer that, let me help you understand why the Holy Spirit is not some sort of grey, oblong blur, but is in fact a genuine, thinking, feeling, willing person with whom you and I are to enter into a close, intimate relationship with in Acts 13, verses 1 to 2, it's the Holy Spirit who gives direction and response to fasting and worship. In Acts 15, verse 28, it suggests that the apostles and the elders of Jerusalem sought the Spirit and the decisions to find out what seemed good to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God from Romans 8 and cries, Abba, Father, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He provides a guarantee or a down payment of our future fellowship with him in heaven. And you can read about that in 2 Corinthians. He reveals his desire to us so that we can be led by those desires and we can follow him. And you see numerous examples of that through the Bible. But Romans 8 and Galatians 5 are two places you can see examples of that. He gives gifts that manifest his presence. 1 Corinthians 12 So here's why we believe that the Holy Spirit is not just a power or a principle, but a genuine person. See, when you read about the Holy Spirit in the Bible, you quickly discover that all the attributes that we typically associate with a person are found in the Holy Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit has a mind. He thinks, he reasons, he understands, he deliberates and he reflects. Isaiah 11 verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and, and fear of the Lord. In John 14, 26, the spirit is described as teaching all things. In Romans 8, 27, we read that he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind, the mind of the spirit. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit also has feelings. He experiences emotions. In Romans 8.26, we are told that the, the Holy Spirit groans. And in Romans 15, that he feels love. Paul warns us in Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 30 not to grieve the Holy Spirit. See, when the early church had to make a decision on whether or not to accept the Gentiles into the church on the same terms as the Jews. We read in Acts 15 at verse 28 that it seemed, and it said there, and it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to do so. 
It seemed good to the Holy Spirit to do. So, so the Holy Spirit has feelings. It experiences emotions. The Holy Spirit also has a will. He deliberates between, a, between options and he makes choices. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says clearly that when it comes to who gets what spiritual gifts, that the Spirit apportions gifts to each one individually as he wills. So the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit performs all functions of a personal human being. He talks in Mark 13, Acts 11, and many, sorry, Acts 1 and many, many more. He testifies. He can be sinned against. He can be lied to. He can be tested or tempted. He can be insulted. He enters into a relationship with other persons. He encourages. He strengthens. He teaches. And if you want scriptural references for all of them, I'll give you, give you them later. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. The Holy Spirit is more than just a person. He's a divine person. That is to say that the Holy Spirit is God. We all affirm that the Father is God and that the Son is God, but so too and no less is the Holy Spirit God. Several things in the Bible affirm this to be true. Consider, if you will, what Paul says in Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So in in this verse, the Holy Spirit is referred to in three ways. Firstly, as the Holy Spirit itself. Secondly, as the Spirit of God, the Father. And then thirdly, as the Spirit of Christ, of the Spirit of Jesus. But let me just remind you, they are not, however, three spirits who simultaneously exist all at the same time. But they're one spirit with the same relationship to the Father and the Son at the same time. Here in our passage, we see clear and undisputed evidence that the Holy Spirit is a person. In John 14, verse 16, it says, Jesus says that the Father will give to us another helper or another comforter or another counselor, depending on the translation that you read. Someone who helps and comforts and counsels is by definition a person, not merely a power or an impersonal force. And notice that Jesus refers to the Spirit as another helper. In other words, Jesus is saying that the helper, the Father, is sending, that the Father is sending is just like me. Jesus is saying this, not me. It's just like me. The Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. He's another helper. He will help and comfort and counsel you just like I have, Jesus says, while I've been physically with you here on earth. When Paul says that the Spirit of God, the Spirit is of God and of Christ, he does not mean that the Spirit was created by God the Father or by God the Son. Rather, he is of God because he shares God's nature. He is one with God in terms of divine essence. The Holy Spirit is also a divine person with a purpose. See, the divine person of the Holy Spirit has a clear and distinct purpose in your life. Everything we know of God the Father and of Jesus does not come naturally. Rather, we owe everything that we have and everything we do to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Everything we understand in God's Word, whatever degree of insight we gain at the measureless truth that it embodies, we must attribute to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Whatever positive moral change you've experienced in your life, whatever conformity to Jesus we've seen develop in our own spiritual uh, walk, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit did it. 
Whatever strength we receive when our weakness threatens to overwhelm, whatever encouragement we feel at times of despair and doubt, whatever sanctifying influence we sense in our souls, we owe it to the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. But let me unpack for you just quickly the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives with six Ps. Firstly, power. The Holy Spirit provides you with power to do what you could never ever do in your own strength. He provides you the power or the God-given ability to do what God wants us to do and what, apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives, we could otherwise never ever do. Power for hope, power for miracles, power for prayer, power for praise, power for preaching. And again, I could give you scriptural references to back up every single one of these. Secondly, the second P, practice. By the word practice, I'm referring to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians at chapter 12, verse 7, when we are told that the Holy Spirit imparts spiritual gifts to us and energizes us to practice them for the building up of the church. Practice. Thirdly, purity. See, the Holy Spirit sanctifies our motives and actions and delivers us from the power and pollution of sin in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23 reminds us that the Holy Spirit lives within us to cultivate and develop his fruit in our lives. Fourthly, presentation. See, the Holy Spirit presents to us the truth of God's word. He reveals, he illuminates, and he awakens us to the meaning of who God is and what his will is for our individual lives. And then fifthly, presence. This points to the Holy Spirit's role as the one who makes known to us and meditates for us the person of Jesus. His role is to shine a floodlight, as it were, on the person of Jesus. John 15, 26 says, Jesus says there, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He's pointing back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is shining us spotlight on Jesus. In John 16, 14, it says, Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And number six, prevention. He restrains our sin. He not only positively enables us to live in obedience to Jesus' commands, but he also exerts a restraining or preventative influence in keeping our sinful impulses in check. As I said at the men's conference, if you are a Christian and you're walking with Jesus and you come and tell me that you could not resist that sin in your life, then I would say you're telling lies. Because you just never ever called upon the power of the Holy Spirit that is within you to resist that temptation in your life. See, and then we're promised, the Bible promise, promises us the Holy Spirit's presence in us. There are two things I want you, want you to see about Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. Never forget that the disciples in the upper room with Jesus were facing the most excruciating crisis of their lives. Jesus is about to leave them. He's going to be crucified. And he told them repeatedly that soon he will depart from them. And can you imagine being a disciple in that moment? You'd be crushed. You'd be worried. And you'd probably be terrified of what the future might hold once Jesus is gone. And I want you to see several critically important truths about what Jesus says concerning the coming of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the Spirit is sent to us in fulfillment of his promise on the day of Pentecost. And you read about that in Acts chapter 2. Firstly, 
when I was researching this, I realized that there was considerable debate about how we should trans- translate the word in verse 16 that we read earlier that is translated by the NIV as advocate. And I'm inclined to say that all of the suggestions of the word that's been translated carry a measure of truth. Others render the word as counselor or helper. The point is that the Holy Spirit is like someone who stands alongside you and defends your case in court. Therefore, the idea would be of a kind of legal assistant. And the word is used in this sense, again, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Some translate it as comforter, as the Holy Spirit comforts us in trials and struggles and in our pain. Regardless of the word we choose, the point is that the Holy Spirit is one who can be experienced in our life. Remember, Jesus is trying to reassure them, the disciples, in their discouragement at this time. And he's trying to help them in their fear by saying that another counselor or another advocate or another helper will come to them. Their sense of abandonment will be overcome by the Holy Spirit, pointing to some sort of experiential ministry on his part to encourage and uplift. And then the second thing I want you to notice about what Jesus says about the coming of the Holy Spirit, that when he comes, he comes forever. He will be with us, says Jesus, forever in verse 16. He will never leave us. He permanently indwells within us. And this is surely, for me anyway, one of the most encouraging promises found anywhere in Scripture. Jesus does not say the Spirit will be with us only as long as we behave ourselves, or only as long as we don't commit any sin in our life, or only as long as we can live up to His expectations. No, the Holy Spirit will be with us forever. Can we grieve the Holy Spirit by our sin? Yes, Ephesians 4 tells us that. Can we quench the Spirit by treating prophetic words with contempt? Yes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 reminds us of that and warns us of that. But the Spirit will never abandon the children of God. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit is not given to the world at large, but only to believers in particular. Jesus says in verse 17, the world cannot accept him. The world has no knowledge of the Holy Spirit, no experience of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the world does not know me, says Jesus. Only those who know and love and believe in Jesus will receive this presence and power from the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit won't just be with us as if it was like some companion walking alongside us. He'll actually be in us. Not walking beside us, but he'll be in us. He lives inside, not just alongside. He lives inside. He doesn't come to you as I do on a Sunday morning or as Michael does on a Sunday morning, standing in your presence, speaking to you from the outside to who you are. He comes into us. He comes into you. He lives in us. He makes us dwelling in his home, in our hearts, in our minds, our affections, and also in our bodies. And Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that we are his temple. The Apostle Paul asked this question in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. He says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And then in 1 Corinthians, again a few chapters later, at chapter 6 verse 19, he again asks, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? See, clearly Jesus is saying that the day of Pentecost marks a huge, significant shift in the way that God's people relate to the Holy Spirit. 
We know that people in the Old Testament were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit would come upon people in the Old Testament to empower them and equip them to do specified tasks. See, the Holy Spirit is described as coming on those who had constructed the tabernacle, for example, in the Old Testament, as coming on the kings of Israel to equip them and aid them in the leading of God's people, the ones that were good and done what they were supposed to do. The Holy Spirit would come on prophets and military commanders and others to do what God had commanded them today eh, to do. But in no case did the Holy Spirit come into them and remain there forever. The permanent abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in a Christian is something that first came to pass on the day of Pentecost. Then fifthly, the coming and abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in us is equivalent to an orphan being adopted and taken into the home of a loving parent who then devotes themselves to doing everything that that child needs done. Jesus says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. And that's what he's meaning there. That it would, It's almost like we've been adopted and taken into the home of a loving parent. And that loving parent will then devote themselves to doing everything that we need as that orphan. Yes, Jesus will leave them physically. He's about to be crucified and raised from the dead and he will ascend up to the right hand of the Father in heaven. But when the Holy Spirit comes, whatever bereavement or loss or loneliness that his disciples might be feeling, they'll be overcome by the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. So in summary, Jesus promised that when he left, his his Spirit would be sent to live inside of Christians. See, when we believed the gospel and trusted Jesus to save us, that's when we were sealed with the promise, the promised Holy Spirit. And if you're a, a Christian today, then the Bible calls you God's temple because God's Spirit dwells within you. And as children of God, we literally possess the Spirit of God inside us. He has been given to us so that we can know who God is and know also how to follow Him. But let me tell you this morning, as awesome and amazing as that is, there is even more that God wants to give us. And Dave hinted at that in his communion earlier when he said that 42 years before he experienced the Holy Spirit's power in his life. There's even more. We need a power beyond ourselves for service and ministry in Jesus' kingdom. See, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he knew that his disciples could not fulfill it in their own power. Therefore, he had a special gift in store for them. It was his plan to give them the same power that he had, the power of the Spirit of God working in and through them. So immediately after giving them the Great Commission, Jesus commanded his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. And you can read about this in Acts chapter 1. It is God's will, in fact, it's his commandment, that we be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. The knowledge and reality of the empowering Spirit enables us to reproduce the works of Jesus in our lives. You and I have been called to experience the adventure of, of life in and with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, we all need the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We all need that fire in our lives, each and every single one of us. In fact, Ephesians 5.18 encourages us to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-time deal. It's not Dave waited till he's 42 and that's it done for the rest of his life. He's asking, he's seeking, pushing, asking for more. We all need that Holy Spirit fire in our lives. Let me tell you, the role of the Holy Spirit 
it's not an optional extra for the life of Christians. I wish I could go back and chat to that minister all those years ago. Show him the error of his ways. Like, show him how much the Bible is clear on these things. Like, I'm telling you, when I discovered the Holy Spirit in my life, wow. Like, even still, wow today. New things, new experiences, new confidence, the ability to step out and do new things. Why? Not because I'm anything special, but because the Holy Spirit is working in and through me. It's not an optional extra for us as Christians. He's the very essence of our relationship with our Father and, and the means to accomplish what we have been called to do. Matthew 3.11 says, I, and this is John the Baptist speaking, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love that. Baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. See, I believe that the ordinary person, the ordinary person like me, can be filled with fire that can make all the difference in their lives. But the question is then, and immediately follows that, is how do I receive that baptism in the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you, you'll have to do two things. Two things. First, if you've never done it before, you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That when you do, you just have to, and then when you do that, you just have to ask God to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. As simple as that. Two things. Believe in Jesus, trust Him, ask Him to save you, and then secondly, ask Him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Simple. It's simple, but so many of us don't experience it. Dave had to wait 42 years. Sorry, Dave, I keep picking on you, but you shared that in communion. Dave had to wait 42 years. Dave, how much of that, your life do you look back on as a Christian and regret not having the Holy Spirit in your life? All, all of it. All of it. And the band can come as we wrap this up. See, the Bible says, ask and it shall be given to you in Luke 11. So the first thing you have to do, you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you have to ask him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Then the second thing you have to do is believe in fact that you have received that gift from God. The Apostle Paul in writing to the Galatians said this in Galatians 3 verse 2, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or, or, hearing, or by hearing with faith? And of course the, the answer to that question is obvious. It's faith. You have to believe if you ask that you will receive so you have to believe it. You have to go out there asking, Jesus baptized me in the Holy Spirit, but believe they're going to receive it. Don't stand there doubting, thinking it's never going to happen to me, but believe it in faith that he's going to do it for you in that moment. Believe it. It's what we're going to do today. I'm excited. Like, I'm excited today. I want to pray for people to be baptized right where you are in the Holy Spirit today. Let me tell you, there's somebody who's sitting in this room today who... We prayed during an online church service because we weren't allowed to gather together and that person was in the living room and was baptized in the Holy, by the Holy Spirit in the living room. They're in this room today. That could happen to you today. And let me tell you, when that happened to me and I finally realized that all that stuff the minister was telling me was a lot of rubbish, that I could experience more, that I could experience everything the Bible tells me, wow, totally transformed my life. Totally transformed my life. So I want to pray for people today. I want to pray right where you are. You don't even have to come to the front. You can just stand, stay in your seat 
And I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe that if you're genuinely seeking that baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're believing in faith that you're going to receive it today, then you will. Then Thank you for listening. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Please feel free to contact us through our website, foundchurch.co.uk or you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.